Yes, we're on. Uh, it is such a blessing to be here today. Thank you so much for the chance uh, to come share with you what's on my heart today uh, with this topic of mobilization as it is near and dear to my heart. Um, as he just shared, my name is Stephen, and I'm on staff at Cafe 1040. If you're not familiar with Cafe 1040, we're a mobilization organization. That's what we do. Um, and everything we do is built around working with young adults who are thinking about long-term missions, people who would say, I'm, I'm thinking about it but not yet sure, and trying to figure it out. We come alongside those people and walk through the journey of figuring out if long-term missions is for them or not. Uh, we have a three-month program overseas inside the 1040 window. Um, I did also want to say real quick that uh, Cafe 1040, we're doing a virtual missions experience in the month of October. Uh, we're for, on Sunday afternoons for a couple hours. You can connect with some missionaries on the field just to learn about what does life on the field look like. Uh, what is real missions when you're a long-term overseas missionary? Uh, get a taste of that. So if you want to hear more, come grab me after service. Um, so once again, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I shared this earlier this morning. Um, I've loved watching over the years as God has done such a work here at Living Hope Church. And really, I don't know if, if all of you know this, but Living Hope has the reputation of being a mission-sending church. I think that's really cool because there are a lot of places that don't have that reputation. And we work with a lot of young adults who are thinking about missions, considering missions with their lives. And it's very regular for us to hear, oh, you're thinking about missions? You should go check out Living Hope. They have a great church. They care about the nations. They'll walk through this journey with you. They'll, they'll help you figure out if long-term missions is for you or not. Um, and I just, I love that. So thank you for the work you're doing um, here in Athens and all over the world. Um, it's a privilege for us at Cafe 1040 to partner with you. Now, as it was shared, we're talking about mobilization today. Um, that's the focus for this year's Missions Week. If you've been here for a couple of years, you know that each year there's a different focus. Uh, I believe last year was the focus uh, on prayer as it relates to missions. A couple of years ago, it was focused on, on welcoming international. Um, this year, the focus is mobilization. As I said, that's something that is near and dear to me. I believe that God has called me into mobilization. Uh, and that's what we do at, at Cafe 1040. And so if you want a little roadmap for where we're headed today... Um, I'm going to share a little bit of my story first, to how I got to where I am now. Um, but then we're going to take a look at this idea, this concept of missions mobilization. And we're going to talk first, what is mobilization? Because I know the mobilization is actually uh, pretty confusing, and, and lots of different people have different ideas of what it means. So we'll, we'll talk, what is mobilization? We'll talk about how do we mobilize? And then we'll tie it all together at the end with why we should mobilize. So that's, that's where we're headed. Let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll, we'll dive on in. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege to be here today, to be together, to worship you, God. You are worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. Thank you for the privilege to gather together and open up your word, to know more about you, to know who you are what you've called us to. And we just ask in the name of Jesus today that we be a people that, that bring you glory, honor, and praise. I pray that you be praised in this place today. I pray that you stir hearts for you, rise up passion within us today to be a part of making you famous among the nations. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'd love to share just a little bit of my story first. Um, and what God's done in my life really in the last 10 years. I was someone who grew up most of my life as a follower of Christ. My father was a pastor. 
And so I was involved in the church from a very young age. I, I gave my life to Christ as a young child, was involved in church, was involved in the youth group um, in the early days. Like many people, had a short season of wandering at the end of high school, uh, my first year at the University of Georgia. Uh, but shortly thereafter, met the woman who's now my wife, and we, we got back involved with church and, and really have been following the Lord ever since. Right after graduating from the University of Georgia, I joined staff at a campus ministry at the, the University of Georgia Wesley Foundation. And I was someone who would say, I was, I was on fire for Christ. I was passionate for Jesus. I was in ministry. I loved to get into his word. I prayed. I was sharing my faith as I had opportunity. I was really giving my life to the work. But there was something missing that, that I just didn't realize. There was something incomplete in my walk at the time. I just, I just hadn't realized it. And I, and I use this analogy, and those of you who have glasses or contacts in the room might be able to relate to this. But for me, in 2010, I went through an experience that for me was kind of like putting on glasses for the first time for my spiritual life. Now, some of you might remember the first time you put glasses on, how clear the whole world was, and maybe you didn't realize it before. You know, can I, do we have any amens out there? Anybody remember that day? You walk out of the doctor's office, and you put glasses on, and it's just like, oh my gosh, what have I been missing? I can see the leaves on the trees. I can see the blades of grass. Everything feels so clear now. It's like you're seeing the whole world differently. And the funny part is you don't even realize until you put the glasses on how blurry things were before that. Now remember, I didn't think I couldn't see. I didn't realize how, how blurry things were. And then I put my glasses on. Wow, things seem so clear to me now. How was, I, how was I missing this before? How did I not know? And that's what happened to me in 2010. God did a deep work in my, in my heart, in my mind, that felt like I began to see the world clearly, especially as it relates to missions. Because prior to that moment, here, here's where I was, and I imagine uh, many people might have similar stories. When I thought about missions prior to this, I would have said, yeah, I'm a missions guy. I love going on mission trips. I've been on many mission trips before. I would have said I care a lot about missions. It's important. Great commission. Yes, I'm a great commission guy. You know, make disciples. I was working at Wesley. We, we disciple people. That's what we do. I'm a great commission guy. But deep down, if I was honest with myself, Here's where I really was and what I really thought. When it came to kind of long-term overseas missions, I would have thought to myself, really, truly, unless you're called, like really, truly called, why, why would you do that? Because there is so much to do here. So many people who don't know Jesus right here, so much hurt, so much brokenness, so much poverty, Right here where we are, I was the campus of University of Georgia, maybe 30,000 college students who don't know Jesus. There's so much work to be done here. Why would I leave this place where I speak the language and know the people to go somewhere far away? It doesn't make any sense. Unless, of course, I'm called. And, of course, I had the mindset many of us do. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm not. I'm not called, right? No, 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 that's for those people. Me called, no, 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 I'm called here. Thank you, Whew. And what did I mean by called? What did I mean by what it would have taken for me to be called? For me to, to have felt called to, to overseas missions, it probably would have been, you know, a burning bush would have done the job. 
you know, getting swallowed by a whale would have done it, right? A talking donkey, I would have, you know, asked some questions, but that, that, that probably would have done it. Then I said, yeah, I'm called. But aside from something like that, why would I leave here? And the mindset was, hey, wherever we are, whatever you're doing, let's, you know, let's be on mission. Let's love the people around us, serve the people around us. Doesn't make much sense to give your life to that when there's so much work here. And then I went through a season. And I call it my, my season of tears. Because it was this season where God just did this, this deep work in my heart. I, I cried. Every time I prayed for like six months, it was not fun. I'm not a crier. I was, just, I was just broken for Jesus during this season. And, and here are a few of the things that happened. Um, first, I took a short-term trip to Costa Rica. And I've been on many short-term trips at this point. But, but this trip was just different. God did something really unique and really powerful on this trip where it's hard to even describe exactly what it is that he did, but it was on this trip where I just felt like God just kind of broke me down down into a million pieces and then started to kind of put me back together. I just remember this feeling of just brokenness for Jesus. Brokenness for his kingdom. Brokenness for him. I know on that trip, God put something about the nations in my heart. I didn't know what it was at the time. I was called a something about reaching the nations. So I come home from that trip, and there's just something within me. I, I don't care what my life is about anymore, Christ. I'm here for you, and however I can serve you, here I am. It was a beautiful place to be. I came home, and it wasn't but a couple weeks later, my wife took a job. Uh, it's a place where I now work, Cafe 1040. And I remember speaking uh, to the founder. And I remember him looking at me the first time we met, and he said, hey, Stephen. He said, hey, do you know the Great Commission? You know, here I am, of course I do. I'm in ministry, I'm halfway through seminary, like I got the Great Commission course. Stumbled through it. And then he says, oh, okay, that's great. Hey, have we, have we completed it yet? I don't know. Are, are we supposed to? Is it something we're supposed to complete? I, I have no idea. What, I don't even know what you're asking me. Have we, I guess not. I, I didn't think we, I don't know. Because at that point, that hadn't really been my mindset around the, the Great Commission being a task to complete. For me, the Great Commission was, it was a little bit more of just kind of a generic call to go. Make disciples as you go. It got my mind thinking that day. Something happened up here. And with what had happened already in my heart, and what was happening in my mind, God started doing something. Then I met this guy. Many of you probably know him. Best mobilizer I've ever met, actually. His name's Jimmy Richardson. Jimmy Richardson was a mobilizer. In fact, I would say, I mean, God gets all the credit for what he's done in Athens as it relates to missions. But man, he used our brother Jimmy. A lot of what's happening in Athens now um, was God using Jimmy 10 years ago and starting to stir up people for missions. So I started meeting with Jimmy, talking to him. Started learning some things that I'd never heard before. Um, and then 
I took this class called Perspectives. Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. If you haven't taken it yet, I can't encourage it enough. I tease a lot about this. For me, Discipleship 101 is, is, you know, repent of your sins, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, get baptized, take perspectives. Because it's so um, impactful, it's so eye-opening. It's a class essentially on missions, but it walks through the whole Bible. And I started learning these things that I had never heard before. Here's a guy who's halfway through seminary and been in church my whole life, and I started learning these things, things like, like missions isn't just a couple verses in the New Testament from Paul, but missions is actually the, the story of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's mission in the world, all the way from, from Genesis 12 when God speaks to Abraham and says, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all the way up to the Great Commission when Jesus gives his his final task, and, and all the way then to Revelation, when we get to Revelation 7, and we get this image of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, gathered around the throne in worship. This is the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of God redeeming all the peoples to himself. Gosh, I don't, maybe I wasn't listening, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but that just hadn't connected for me yet. And then I started learning about um, the state of the world. And in the Great Commission, it, it talks about make disciples of all the nations that were as ethne, or ethnic groups, people groups. I didn't know this before, but we now know how many people groups are in the world. We know who they are. We know how many of them there are. We know where they are. And we know which ones have been reached with the gospel, have an active church, have Christians there to share the good news. And we know which ones aren't. About 17,000 people groups in the world. Around 10,000 of them have already been reached with the gospel. There are disciples among those people. There's about 7,000 people groups in the world left that haven't been reached with the gospel yet. They don't have an active gospel presence. They don't have disciples there to share the good news with the other people. 7,000 of them. So I heard this. I was like, I, you know, why doesn't everyone know this? Why did I not know this until now? I was 27 years old. Why have I never heard? Everybody should know this. This should be, this should be commonly uh, understood by followers of Christ. Here's the task that Christ gave his church. Here's where we are. Let's go do this. Then I learned also on top of it all that right now only about 3% of missionaries that are sent out go to places that are not reached with the gospel. Around 97% of them are serving in places that are already reached with the gospel. Now, they're, they're not bad people doing bad things, right? They're wonderful people doing wonderful things. Those places are reached because of the work of these missionaries. But I found myself saying, wow, this is the task Christ has given the church, and we're not, we're not sending hardly any of our people to these places. When it comes to missions giving, less than a penny of every dollar is given to unreached people groups where over 99% is is allocated towards reached places, how are we going to accomplish this task that Christ has given the church? I had a moment of righteous anger, I'll call it. It's like, how can this be? Here we are. We have this task that Christ has given the church, and we know where the places are that have no access to the gospel, no churches, no Christians, no missionaries, and we're not sending anybody there. 
I was hearing things that I hadn't heard before, and there was a renewing of my mind that was happening. Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. My mind and my heart, there was this thing happening within me. And then finally in May of that year, again, this was my six-month stretch, my wife and I, we went to visit uh, one of the overseas locations for Cafe 1040. It was a place in North Africa. And in this place, it was 99.9% Muslim. In the place where we were, a, a place of around 150,000 people, there was one known local Christian. And my eyes were just open. And I remember walking the streets of this place, and the, the call to prayer would come over the loudspeakers five times a day. I was having conversations with people, meeting new people. And I realized that unless something changed, these people that I now had, had faces to put with names, these people I'd actually met, unless something changed, the vast majority of all these people were going to go their entire lives and never meet a Christian and never actually hear the good news of Jesus Christ presented to them. Statistically speaking, people who live in an unreached people group will live and die without ever hearing the gospel because there's no one there to tell them. So we're not just talking about lost people in general, people who don't know Jesus. We're talking about entire people groups that have no one there to tell them. I had no idea. And when I came home from that trip to North Africa, my life was changed forever. I had been hearing things that I'd never heard before. My mind was learning things. I was seeing things I hadn't seen before. And I started doing things that I had never done before from that point forward. And that was when I knew that God, my, the rest of my life will be devoted to seeing those people reached with the gospel. I was mobilized. That's what happened. I was mobilized. I wasn't a better Christian than others. I wasn't an elite Christian or anything like that. But I had put glasses on and started seeing things very, very differently. My hope today is that for all of us in some way or another, we can have our hearts on fire, we can put the glasses on, we can have our hearts and minds connected where God might come and do a great work in all of us to be a part of his work all over the world. So, for what God did in me, focus for today is mobilization. And so what I want to get into now is let's, let's talk about what does this actually look like in today's world. Okay, we'll start with this first question. What is mobilization? We're going to start with, with Webster's. We're going to talk about uh, a few definitions that Webster's would, Webster's would say, what is mobilization? Number one, Webster would say the action of making something movable or capable of movement. Number two, the action of a country or its government preparing and organizing troops for active service. Think about the parallels there with the church and missions. Mobilization of the army in 1941 brought two million men under arms. Number three, the action of bringing resources into use for a particular purpose. And probably the one I connect with the most here, the action of organizing 
and encouraging a group of people to take collective action in pursuit of a particular objective. Now, I'll say that again. The action of organizing and encouraging a group of people to take collective action in pursuit of a particular objective. Okay, so a few definitions around the word just mobilization. We're not talking about general mobilization today. We're specifically talking about missions mobilization, right? So what is missions mobilization? Uh, the Center for Missions Mobilization would say this. They would say missions mobilization is pe- pointing people who do know Jesus to entire people groups who do not, right? So followers of Christ who know Jesus, pointing other followers of Christ to people groups, entire people groups who do not. Here's the definition that I use most commonly. I believe missions mobilization is followers of Christ helping other followers of Christ find their role in the Great Commission and take action. That last part's really important for me. All those definitions of mobilization you saw, it's all about action, being moved into action. I believe every person has a role in the Great Commission. We all have a part to play. And if we go back to that that last definition, the action of organizing and encouraging a group of people to take collective action in pursuit of a particular objective, we do have a particular objective. Christ made that very clear. He gave us a task. Now, he gave us lots of commands during his ministry, right? Love God, love others first and foremost. Lots of things he taught us. But there was this, this one final task he gave us in the Great Commission. And if you'll join me just for a second and kind of put yourself in the, in the shoes of those people who would have been with him on that day. Jesus had just spent about three years doing ministry, displaying the kingdom, revealing the kingdom, teaching about the kingdom, teaching what it meant to follow God, kind of turning the things that people thought and believed upside down, healing, performing miracles, showing the world what happens when the, and when the kingdom of heaven invades earth. He did all kinds of things for three years. He he died on the cross, was raised from the dead, making a way for all people to know God. And then he gathers all of his followers over on a mountainside for one final time together before he ascends into heaven. Now, you've got to imagine, after all the things he taught, there's a lot of things he could have said during this time, right? But knowing this was his, his final command to his followers, you've got to think, this is probably pretty important, right? He gathers them all together after all these things they'd seen and witnessed, knowing this is God. This is not just a man. This is God. And the world needs to know about this man. He says to them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to obey the things I have commanded you. Oh, and don't forget, I'm with you, always. You're not alone, I'm with you. His followers would have heard that, and they would have understood what he was saying. Go. Go out into the world. Go into every ethne, every people group. Go into every single one. And make sure there are disciples in those places. Because we know, what do disciples do? Well, they gather together. We call them churches now. Go and make sure there's a church amongst every 
people. Every people group on the planet should have some followers of Christ that speak the language and know the culture and, and are living out these kingdom principles that I've been teaching you all these years. Every single people group should have that. It's a church for all peoples. Fellowships of obedient believers capable of reaching their own people. Church, here's the task I'm giving you. Followers, here's the task. Here's the start. Here's the finish. Go and make disciples in every single ethnic. Share the gospel. When people say yes, baptize them. Disciple them. Teach them, train them, equip them. But don't forget the Holy Spirit's the one doing it all. Holy Spirit's with you. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit's going out changing hearts, raising people up, mobilizing people. But you have a part to play. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're talking about. The task of reaching all the peoples of the world that's been given to the church. It's a, it's a specific task. And when we talk about mobilization, it's gathering us and encouraging us towards accomplishing that specific task that Christ gave the church. J.D. Greer and David Platt are known for saying this, the Great Commission is not an option to consider, but a command to obey. We all have a role in the Great Commission. John Piper says it even a bit more bluntly. He says, go, send, or disobey. We all have a role to play in the Great Commission. All right, so that's how I would define what is mobilization. Followers of Christ helping other followers of Christ find their role in that great commission. We all have different roles to play, helping them take action. So now, what does it actually look like, right? How, how do we mobilize, okay? And for this, for this, the rest of our time here, I want to I take a look at the life of Paul and dig in what we see in the scriptures for mobilization. Is this just a made-up idea that we have for today? Or is this something that we see in Scripture? And I love looking at the life of Paul because while most of us, when we think of Paul, we think of the first missionary and, and the works that he did as a missionary, I would argue that Paul was also one of the best mobilizers we've ever seen. Paul was a mobilizer. And he shows us both the, the context for within which mobilization should happen and also gives us a pattern for mobilizing. Okay, so first, we're going to take a look at Acts 13. Verses 1 through 4. And give a quick little bit of context here. This is the church in Antioch, widely regarded as the first church. It says in Acts 11, this was the first place where they were called Christians. Paul had been with these people for um, some period of time. And here's what we see. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, love that part, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, sent them off. The church, the leaders of the church laid hands, church gathered together, sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, 
Paul and Barnabas, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Began the first missionary journey. There's a couple of things I want to point out from this passage that I think are so important. And that is, first and foremost, is that mobilization primarily happens in the context of a church. It's so easy for when we think about missions, think about going and being a missionary to become an individual thing. It's often how we in America, we interpret the Bible, we read the Bible through this lens of, of our individualistic society, when it was really meant to be viewed more collectively, like us as a unit, is really how the Bible was, was written. And so this task that was given uh, from Christ to his followers is a task given to the church. Friends, the, the church is who God put in place to reach the world. And so when we talk about missions mobilization, I believe the, the model we have is that churches gather together, and they've talked about God's mission in the world and are educating the people of the church, but as the church gathers together in the midst of worshiping and praying and fasting, there will be some people in the church who are called by God to be missionaries. And I think that's the context for which it should be happening. Pastors of the church there, elders, leaders of the church, laying hands on, affirming that calling, sending out, recognizing that some are going to be sent, most are going to stay. There was just Paul and Barnabas were the only two that were sent, and everyone else was staying. But it's so important to understand that it wasn't as if, okay, thank goodness, those are the missions people, now we get to go do our thing here while they go be the missionaries. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they were simply an extension of the church. They were, they were an arm of the church. The church is who was going out reaching the world. Paul was the, the mouthpiece. But the church was doing this together, and all the people of the church had a role to play in that work. Some were praying for Paul and Barnabas. You see that a lot? People praying for Paul, him thanking them for their prayers. Some were sending in uh, money. Some were giving to allow the work to happen. They were all together working with Paul to reach those people. And I love when, when we get down to uh, Acts 14, you know, just about uh, two chapters later, he says they sailed back to Antioch. This is after their first missionary journey where they had been committed to the, excuse me, sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So here's this picture of the church gathering together. Some Holy Spirit called out some to be missionaries. The church, um, I imagine a big celebration service for them, laying hands, praying, sending them out, but then keeping up to date with them as much as they could. They were getting letters back from Paul. And then a few years later, they come back and they report all that God had been doing and shared it with the church because the church was doing this together. We talk to young adults a lot with the work we do at Cafe 1040, and we'll, we'll often have young adults come and say, hey, Stephen, I'm so excited. I think God might be calling me to be a missionary. I'll say, that's great. That's, that's what I do with my life to see missionaries raised up. That's great. Um, hey, what does your pastor think? oh, uh, I don't know, I haven't talked to my pastor. Okay, well, what, what, what are the leaders, what are the elders of your church? What, what do the people of your church think? Uh, I, 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 don't, 
Well, no, I haven't talked to my church. I haven't really shared that with anybody in my church yet. Oh, okay. Let's step back just a second. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Go get plugged into your church and talk to your pastor and share with them what God's put on your heart. And let your church elders and leaders pray for you and kind of walk through this journey with you and disciple you and prepare you. And there's a lot we do at Cafe Conforti to help, but we're not there to replace the church. The church is really how you're going to be mobilized. You guys know here at, here at Living Hope, y'all have Alex Fields, who is like your missions guy. You're thinking about missions at, Ca- at Living Hope, go talk to Alex. Pastor David would love to talk to you. It should happen in the context of the church. And so in terms of context in the church, and also remembering a love from this passage, we see that God is the one who is calling people. It happened in the midst of worshiping and praying. God calls people. Okay, so there's a context for mobilization. But there's also, when we look at the life of Paul, and we could spend hours digging really deep into this, I believe we see a pattern emerge from Paul's life as it relates to mobilization. This is a pattern that we now kind of have adopted at Catholic and 40 when we talk about mobilization. And we use the words hear, see, and do. It comes to mobilization, hearing, seeing, and doing your role in the Great Commission. So first, hearing. We talk about exposure. One of the things that we see Paul do is regularly he's teaching about God's mission in the world. He's teaching, actually he doesn't use the word, but he's teaching about unreached people groups and seeing the gospel go to places where it's not. So we see this in Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And finally, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Someone's got to be sent. Someone's got to go out. Someone's got to leave to preach the good news. We see it even more specifically in Romans 15 when Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He said, hey, we've got, we got to go to unreached people groups. Is what that, what that passage says. We've got to go to places where there's not already somebody preaching. There aren't already disciples. And if you're anything like me, that, that idea was almost... It's almost unfathomable to me. It's it almost as if I just assume there's Christians everywhere, maybe not a lot in some places. But the reality is there are places with, enti- with literally millions of people with no one, no one there to tell them. And so Paul is saying, hey, we've got to go to these places where there's not somebody already preaching. And he says this all throughout his letters. We could have pulled so many scriptures talking about being a light to the Gentiles and um, so many times in Paul's letters. So exposure, teaching, raising awareness, educating. We talked about the mind being transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's something that happens when we learn some of these things, much like me in 2010. I learned some things that I hadn't ever heard before. And that combined with what God was doing in my heart changed me. Number two, we have the word see. And we tie this with the word encounter. She's seeing with your own eyes and getting out among unreached people groups, getting to a place that's different from your normal context, your normal culture where, where people are, you're comfortable. If you've ever been on a short-term trip before, you've probably had an experience like this where God really, just getting outside of your, your comfort zone, man, God just opens your eyes. 
And what we see with Paul so many times is he was always taking people with him. You know, in Acts 13, right after Paul and Barnabas had been sent out, verse 5 uh, says, and John was there as their helper. I, I, we don't know a whole lot about what he was doing at that time. We just know he was with them. They said they sent the two of them, Paul and Barnabas, but John was there as their helper. We see uh, Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, Epaphroditus, uh, John Mark, so many people that were, were going with Paul at different times on these missionary journeys involved in some way. I believe that many of those people ended up being mobilized. As Paul was bringing them away from their home context, getting them out there on the road to see, to encounter life outside of what they were used to. It's a really powerful thing. And finally, number three, do. We use the word engage. Paul helped the people of these churches find their role. He celebrated it. He encouraged it. Number three, all these people had a role to play. And like we said earlier, some were prayers, some were givers, some were supporters. They all had a role to play. And you see Paul celebrating that often throughout the scriptures. Helping people hear, see, and do their role in the Great Commission is this pattern that we see from Paul the mobilizer throughout his letters. Finally, we'll tie it all together here with the why. Why is mobilization so important? Why does this matter? Why should we mobilize? And the first two reasons I'm going to share, I've mostly covered already. Number one, I believe it's biblical. I believe we see in a number of ways mobilization happen throughout the New Testament. Number two, I think it's central to accomplishing the task we've been given. We've been given this task of the Great Commission, helping people find their role. It's really important. Um, but number three, it's really strategic. It's powerful. Now, I've got an illustration I want to share uh, to illustrate the, the power of mobilization. Um, can, we get, can I get a few people to come up on stage? Can I get five people to come on stage with me just real quick? Just hop up and run on up here, five people, if you don't mind. I know this is abnormal. It's okay. Any, any brave souls? There we go. We got one. Thank you. We got two. Thank you. We got three. Four, five. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, you four could stand over here. What's your name? Quentin. Quentin. Quentin, please come stand right over here. All right, so Quentin's our mobilizer. All right, so Quentin has been called by God to be a mobilizer. And just take for a second, just think with me, if we could define mobilization here, is what Quentin wants to do is he's going to spend the next year investing in four people and talking about hear, see, do, helping them hear about God's mission in the world. He's going to take them on some short-term trips. He's going to help them find their role in the Great Commission. And what Quentin is hoping is at the end of this first year that every single one of these people will either go as a missionary or stay and mobilize. Right? So either go or send is what he's hoping to happen after one year. And so Quentin invests in these four for the next year, and it turns out Quentin's a really good mobilizer, and three of these four decide they're going to go be an overseas missionary, while one of the four decides that they're going to stay and mobilize. What's your name? Victoria. Victoria, come on over here. Victoria decides she's going to stay and mobilize with Quentin. And these other three, what are your names? Cruz, Kevin, Cruz, Kevin, and Christian. Yes, they say, yes, I want to go be a missionary. Praise God. And so the church gathers together, lays hands, worships God, 
sends them out. We have three missionaries. Praise the Lord. So that next year, we now have two mobilizers. And let's say they do the same thing, that next year they both are going to go find four people to invest in with the hope they either are going to go or send at the end of that year. And the same thing happens. They have three of the four say, yes, I'm going to go be a missionary, and one of them stays. And that happens again the next year and the year and the year. Do you want to know how many missionaries have been sent after just eight years? 765. 765. That's a lot of missionaries, right? I'll start with Quentin. Man, good job. Quentin here, a mobilizer extraordinaire. 765 people are sent because he wanted to invest in four people each year. Now, let me reverse things just a little bit here, okay? Let's say Quentin is actually not as good as we thought. And he's mobilizing. And he's got four people he's investing in, but only one decides to be an overseas missionary. Praise God for that one person. And other three just settle to be mobilizers. Settle. And so if you could come on over here, come on over here. We got this one missionary, Christian. Great. Christian's our missionary. And he gets sent out, praise God. And now the other four stay to mobilize. But they do it the same way. They each go find four people. And again, the numbers work out the same. Up to four, one goes, three stays. Do you know how many missionaries have been sent after eight years? 21,845. 21,845. Mobilization is powerful. Now, I know you, thank you guys. You, you can gra grab a seat. Thanks so much for coming up here. Now, I know that's just math. I know it doesn't work out like that in real life. I know we can make numbers say what we want them to say, but, but the principle is what I hope you see from that, the power of mobilization. If we can each grab a hold of this vision, mobilization is powerful. And can you just imagine with me for a second if the community of Athens, the people of Athens could get a vision for a mobilization movement. And the people here in Athens were saying both, I am going to stay here and serve locally and, and care for the people around me, but also it's a both and I'm also going to have my mind on seeing people sent out from here to the nations and got a hold of that and were giving their lives to that. Can you imagine what would happen in this place? I'd love to see Athens becoming a launching pad to the nations. We're so blessed here with great churches and great ministries. There's absolutely still work to be done, right? I know that. There is work to be done here in Athens. And I'm not at all advocating to neglect that work here. But I am saying in the midst of that, there should be more prioritization, more balance on these places around the world that have no access to the gospel. Y'all, there are three billion people right now who are living in a place where there's no one there to tell them the story of Jesus. Three billion people. And if what we believe is true, that Jesus Christ is the only source of salvation, that there's nothing more important in this life than salvation in Jesus Christ, if that is true, I believe this is the greatest injustice, the greatest tragedy in the world. Three billion people, 7,000 unreached people groups. We can't sit idly by 
and keep going on our, our way with the way things have been. There's got to be a shift. And I believe mobilization is going to be really central in this. It's not ours, right? It's God's mission. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls. The Holy Spirit is the one who raises up. But God partners with his people. He partners with us. He uses us. He works in and through us to do that. We all have a role to play. And so my challenge for the whole church today as we close up is I would ask that every person here, would you begin to seriously consider what is your role in the Great Commission? I imagine there are some of you in this room that are goers and you're scared and you don't know where to go next and you don't know who to talk to or what to do. And if you didn't take this seriously, you might slowly just finish up school and go get a job and start working and never really seriously consider that call. I want to ask you to, to seriously consider that call. Come to your church. Come to Alex. Come to David. Some of you are, are intercessors, and you know that's your gift. You probably have some here, and you probably know who they are. Those people who, when they pray, if you want prayer, you know you go to these people. If that's you, give yourself to that and pray for the nations. Some of you have been blessed with resources by God. And it takes dollars for people to get to the mission field. And your role is to help them to get there through generously, sacrificially giving of the blessings God has given you. We all have a role to play. What is yours? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so very much for the great privilege it is to be here. Thank you for the great privilege it is to partner with you in your mission around the world, your mission of redeeming all the peoples of the earth. God, that you would even choose to partner with us. We don't know why we have such little to offer, but we thank you for the great joy and the great honor, the great privilege it is to, to participate with this, with this task with you. And God, I'm so thankful that the last part of the Great Commission says, says, and lo, therefore, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, that we know that we're not on our own doing this. We don't have to muscle up enough strength and be eloquent and say the right words. We simply have to be faithful and available to you to work in us and through us. We know you are the one going out and changing hearts and, and, and creating passion and drawing people to yourself. And we simply get to be the vessel. God, you are so worthy of praise, worthy of our worship. We give our lives to you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.